Hello and welcome to The States of Matter, a podcast from the Institute of Refrigeration's Women in RACHP Network. I'm Karen Perry and here to co-host is our network chair, Lisa Jane Cook. This episode, continuing our theme discussing subjects of interest for our industry's women, we will explore how to make the workplace more inclusive and in particular supportive of people who are neurodiverse, as well as supportive of workers' mental health and well-being. Very warm welcome to our guest, Solène Anglaret founder of Beyond Borders and a consultant, a speaker and author with a mission to break down borders and bring us closer together through inclusive conversation. Welcome, Celine, and please do correct me on your surname if I didn't quite get it correct. But Thank welcome. Thank you so much. It was perfect. Excellent. You're very polite. Celine, we would love to hear more about you and your career and highlights. But firstly, could I ask you to explain a little about what we mean by neurodiverse, just for those that really aren't too sure? Absolutely, happy to. And thank you so much for having me. It's amazing to be here. So um, neurodiversity is uh, is an umbrella term that refers to diversity in the human brain and cognition. So it's used to cover a lot of different human experiences, um, usually can include autism, ADHD, dyslexia, dyspraxia, dyscalculia, Tourette's syndrome, and more as well. Some In some definitions, it covers um, elements around mental health, like bipolar, personality disorder, schizophrenia. Some definitions don't. So there isn't like one list, if you like, underneath. But essentially what it's looking at is we're all different in the way that our brains are wired and in the way that we think and feel and experience the world. So essentially, everyone is neurodiverse because neurodiversity is diversity. But not everyone will experience barriers or challenges in interacting in society, in having conversation, interpersonal relationships, etc. And that's where the difference and the challenge comes um, in terms of that, those elements of people that are more different than the majority, if that makes sense. That's brilliant. Thank you. Yeah. And I think it's a really nice way to think that we are. We're, we're entirely diverse. Everyone's different, how they think, how they operate, what they do. So yeah, that's brilliant. Thank you so much for that. So yeah, I guess first off, please tell us a little about, bit about yourself, um, about your career. Uh, yes. So uh, my career has been quite a journey, uh, quite an experience, um, definitely unconventional. Actually, yesterday I was asked, um, could you please explain your career? Because I'm looking at your CV and it doesn't quite make sense. <laughs> so I'll try my best on this podcast to make sense of it. So I started my career in the environmental sector after a master's in international relations um, in France. The beginning of my career uh, started in the UK. Uh, I was working for a company called Veolia and I was working in risk management for them. So everything to do with water, waste management and looking at the risks around that. Um, Did that for a couple of years and I was like, yeah, this is really interesting. And it does align with my interest in sustainability and climate change. But there was a fire missing. And so I looked for lots of different options and I landed a job in the travel industry and I ended up spending seven and a half years in the travel industry working in the UK, in Germany, in China and in Australia. I took various different roles, pretty much anything and everything from marketing to product development, strategy, ordering chairs, (laughs) you name it. (laughs) And then COVID hit travel industry wasn't the best place to be at that moment. So I ended up transitioning into diversity and inclusion. 
And so for the past uh, couple of years, I've been working in diversity and inclusion in innovation. Uh, my day job is program manager for disabled innovators at Innovate UK, which is the government agency for innovation. Um, and alongside that, I've created my own business that you mentioned before, uh, which is called Be Beyond Borders. Um, and under the Be Beyond Borders umbrella, I do speaking, writing, and uh, facilitating uh, all around diversity and inclusion, disability and neurodiversity, and cross-cultural uh, collaboration. It's really interesting that you've traveled a lot. You know, I'm, I'm someone that actually hasn't really traveled, so I, I rarely go abroad. I just tend to stay in the UK. But I'm guessing that actually having the um, opportunity to travel abroad and to work and meet with other people allows you an insight into other cultures and perhaps how they might approach this subject as well. So have you found that's really sort of accelerated the growth of your knowledge? Yes, 100%. The growth of my knowledge and also the growth of my empathy, compassion, I think as well. And in some aspect, patience <laughs> with myself in terms of when you're in a place where you don't understand anything what's going on. Um, so yes, definitely. I think I've grown massively. You know, the first time I lived abroad, I was 18. I moved to Norway for one year um, as part of my studies. And I just remember, you know, the person I was when I arrived versus the person I was when I left. I, I just was so much more independent, uh, autonomous. Uh, I had more confidence in my ability to figure things out somehow um, and that yeah it makes a massive difference and then obviously that understanding that you mentioned around the the nuances and the differences in language and culture and really appreciating that yes we're all different that's true our cultures do inform you know our values how we show up in the world what we do what we say how we say it and yet deep down I realized we're all the same as well, like we're all human. And that's really interesting dialectic to think about. It's like, we're all unique, but then we're also all human. So, um, so yeah, I just love that perspective. And that's what really then drove me to, you know, do all the work that I do with Be Beyond Borders in terms of trying to bring us closer together because there's so much we can learn from each other and, and grow, you know, together collectively uh, as a result, so. So yeah, it's been amazing. I've lived in six countries and I've traveled to almost 60. I think it's 58 or 59 now. So so yeah, hopefully more to come. I was in New York last weekend, actually, just for the weekend. <laughs> That's incredible. It's it's really, yeah, it's really amazing. And it's, it's nice to know um, there's other people out there that are looking to collaboration because... For me personally, I do also think that's the way forward. We have to work together if we're going to tackle this. Um, so it's great that you're around with all that experience. So, yeah, I'm just sort of trying to think. You're also a really good example of how it doesn't matter what stage of your life you're in, you can always change. And I guess a lot of people have learned that from COVID, haven't they? But I wonder if that was a little bit more challenging for you as neuro neuroatypical to actually approach that. I said, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's really hard to talk about COVID, isn't it? Because the impacts are different for everybody. And so, of course, you know, the experiences we had were different. But I think that everybody would agree that it was quite life changing, whether it be from the aspect of perhaps you weren't working anymore because like you in the travel industry, um, my next door neighbour was a, a pilot, an airline pilot. And he no longer does that because he didn't have that opportunity to get his air miles. So he just, in the end, he gave up on that. So I suppose, I suppose what I'm trying to ask was, 
like where you found the courage to sort of make that change and, and move into something new? It's a very good question. There's so many elements that come to my mind um, around change happens. The only, I, I, I love this, this saying, you know, the only certainty is uncertainty. And if, even if we don't do anything, things are still changing around us, but also within us, you know, our physiology changes. And I think embracing that change is, is, is amazing. You know, it, it allows you to open so many doors. Um, and the connection with neurodiversity is quite interesting because, yes, I know that some people in the community find change quite daunting and, and quite difficult to navigate. I would say for me, it's almost the opposite. Like I'm addicted to, to change. I love new things. I'm someone who's very creative and, and really likes building something new and coming up with the ideas. But then if someone else could <laughs> deliver it and operationalize it, that would be amazing. You know, I'm, I'm not the person that you're necessarily going to ask about, you know, can you hold the thought for the next 10 years and drive continuous improvement? That's not going to be leaning towards my strengths can i do it probably but will i truly enjoy it and will i be my best self probably not so hence like i guess looking at all the change that i've had in my life i think it makes sense through that lens of thinking here is someone who really likes new things new experiences who gets excited about doing something they've never done before and so i think that's really what's informed all of these different things that that i've done do I get scared? Of course. I think that's part of the human experience. You know, I have very high anxiety. <laughs> um, so definitely, like, you know, when I'm thinking, okay, I got this job offer. I'm moving to China by myself for two years. <laughs> Terrifying, right? I don't speak Mandarin. I don't know that much about the culture. At the time, I thought I didn't like Chinese food as well because the Chinese food in France is, is not good. <laughs> um, it's improved. It's improved. Um, but at the time, um, then I moved to China and I realized I love Chinese food, like actual, actual, real, amazing, tasty Chinese food. Um, so all these myths and things. So, of course, I do get, you know, scared, but I think... And I've reflected on this recently, actually, um, talking to a friend about, you know, she was asking me, how do you do this? And I think for me, I just go, why not? You know, try it. See what happens. Doesn't work out. Do something else. <laughs> um, but then putting the, the additional complexity that you brought up, which is COVID, I think definitely that had a massive impact on all of us. I realized at that time that one of my coping strategies to stay grounded and stay myself and, you know, and, and feel good about life in general was travel. If I had a problem, and in a way, it was a bit of escapism. I had a problem. I would book a ticket, a plane ticket and go somewhere. You know, I'm not feeling good. Just go on a weekend somewhere. Just go for it. You know, take my backpack, go somewhere. And that, that was gone. I couldn't do that anymore. I had to sit there in Australia. I was in Melbourne at the time I was living in Melbourne, which was um, after Shanghai, the second uh, longest lockdown city in the world. We were nine months uh, living within a five kilometer radius. I mean, it, don't get me wrong. It was a golden cage. It was, it was very beautiful there. But <laughs> Nine months in five kilometers when you're addicted to travel, when you travel all the time, when travel is your number one coping mechanism and joy, and that's gone. 
And that was really confronting, having to sit with myself. And that, you know, led to to big challenges. And and like you pointed out, I also lost my job. So there was a lot of, I would say, trauma, because trauma is not what happens to us. Trauma is how we integrate what happens to us. So my response was very much a traumatized response to all of these external events. And it, it was really, really difficult to navigate. And I say this also knowing that I was extremely privileged and that, you know, there were people in much, much more difficult situations. And I think we've all lived through something that's impacted us in many different ways, many deep, profound ways that we're only even beginning to uncover individually and also collectively. I, yeah, I can completely relate to that. Um, while I don't travel, I'm a gym person. So <laughs> it's the same thing. As soon as that lockdown was announced, my, I went straight to the gym. It was like, this is my last chance to be here. And I spent every opportunity trying to get out of the house just to walk. And the, the amount I walked during COVID was incredible. And for me, it was the same sort of thing. If I'm kept inside, I'm like a caged animal. I just go absolutely mad. So I did everything I could to keep that normality so yeah I like to say I can completely relate to that you said it there I think it's it is those coping strategies isn't it if you if you know what yours is and you know what it is that can get you over certain situations because I very much talk at work with people about you know with with change or with anything it's about being a real person ask real questions don't cover if you're uncomfortable with a situation if you're not motivated by a situation be honest about it because then you can tackle it but not everyone finds that easy to do. And I think we'll kind of maybe cover, you know, show confidence, but actually is kind of inside is a different feeling. So how do you kind of, how would you advise or recommend that people do find coping strategies or, or deal in those sort of situations? It's, it's a really hard one, isn't it? Because we've been taught, you know, fake it till you make it mm. and, you know, <laughs> cover it up, put all the emotions under the rug, especially the negative ones. By the way, there are no such things as negative emotions. They're all emotions. <laughs> so, so yes, it's a, it's a difficult one. How can people find their coping strategies? My answer would be try, try lots of things. You know, it, it's, it's very, it's going to sound very simple. Um, but I think, a lot of the time we have these limiting beliefs internally. I mean, I have them too. I still, for example, think, nah, meditation is not for me. <laughs> I don't know, it's a thing. I just, in my head, I'm like, nah, that's not for me. Um, so we all have these limiting beliefs, you know, but when we actually lean in and lean on our curiosity and try something, just just try it, just have a go. And then if it doesn't work, try something else, you know? And just that experimentation and that playfulness I think it's what is going to bring us to coping strategies that do work for us because we've been willing to try lots of different ones and some that didn't work, but eventually we found a few that work for us individually. And I think the other thing is also not to think that there's only one because we change. Like we've said before, we change all the time as people. Also our environment changes, you know, maybe right now we're happy in our jobs, but then tomorrow I don't know, the bus changes or, you know, something, the office moves or something changes, right? That environment change may impact us in a different way that we haven't experienced before. And if we're set on my coping strategies, this one thing that I do, maybe that one thing is not going to work in that new situation. So that constant revisiting experimentation, you know, picking it up from different places. Like I just started uh, early this year, uh, a good things job. 
So the idea is like, it's very simple, get a pasta jar, get a shoe box, whatever it is that you have a container somewhere around the house and just get, you know, bits of paper, pen, anything good that happens that week, that day, that month, something, a highlight, just put it on there, put it in the good things jar. It's satisfying. It's amazing to even do it because you already feel grateful by doing it. But also it's amazing to have it because when you think about it, we get to the end of the year or even the end of the quarter. And yes, we do remember some of the things, but usually they're the closest thing to us in time. We tend to forget what happened before. So being able to reopen and see all of these good things and be like, oh, this was amazing. So all these good things happen. So I think, and this is new for me. This is something I'm trying this year. And maybe next year I won't do it or maybe I will. But it's like constantly trying, revisiting. And if you hear something, for example, if I've just said good things are and you're like, yeah, that sounds cool, then try it, you know, see what happens. And if it doesn't fit you and you hear someone talks about journaling or daily walks or lifting weights or going to bed at 8 p.m., oh, that sounds amazing. <laughs> then try it. Okay, I'm definitely not going to be good at trying that, but I should. <laughs> And then, oh, actually, I'm, I'm thinking as I'm talking and I'll finish on this. I think another thing is reflecting on what we do that doesn't serve us. Because sometimes we're just thinking of adding things like, oh, I'm just going to add this other coping strategy and this other thing and this other thing. But how about all the things we do that are not helpful? You know, like I tend to go to bed too late. I know that it's not helpful, you know. Um, and so reflecting on that and addressing those or working on those as well in parallel, I think can be really helpful because we can stand in our own way at times. We're taught almost not to flip between maybe one coping strategy into another, but you're right. It's about whether it works or not for different people. Not, oh, you gave up on that quite quickly. On to the next one. Um, it's looking for what works. What, what I'm taking from it as well, the sort of feeling that I'm getting from what you're saying is if people can recognise their wants their needs as well as like their skills and abilities when you have that knowledge you can apply that not only to your life but to your career so that's when you'll start to make your successes when you when you understand what it is that you actually want or need from an environment or a workplace a relationship when you've made that connection you can start recognizing those things in that environment or that situation and that can really help you to actually you know just overall be better like your well-being will improve if you're happy in your environment so it's well, I say, or at least that's what I'm taking from you is that like, if you can understand what you need, you can work on that and you can, try, you know, get towards those goals and actually create a place that you're happy on your own and not, I suppose, because it's something that we all do is sort of blame external factors as well. You always have the opportunity to move out of that environment. Yeah, I really liked how you summarized it. Um, that element of self-discovery is absolutely critical. I actually wrote a piece about this, about the, the path towards self-inclusion and self-belonging. And it was through, um, okay, I'll just go slightly back in time. I came to a point where I had no idea who I was. I spent so much time masking my differences, trying to fit in, trying to be accepted, trying to please other people, trying to have a successful, in massive inverted commas, life according to society standards, family, background, et cetera, et cetera, that I completely lost who I was. I was, I, I just didn't know, what do I want? What do I even like? What are my values? I just don't know. 
And it was this journey towards self-discovery and that introspection, that very uncomfortable thing of looking inwards, like you said, rather than looking at external factors. Give me the answer. Tell me who I am. Fix me, <laughs> right? It's like, you know, looking inwards and trying to figure out some of these answers to these questions was absolutely critical. And I was having this conversation with, um, I did do some coaching at the time with my coach and I was telling her, I, I want to create a world where people don't feel excluded because I've experienced that and I don't want anyone to feel that way. I want to create an inclusive world where conversation happens, where we come together, we respect each other, we lead with kindness. You know, this is what I want to do. She said, so this is really interesting. How can you create inclusion in the world if you're not inclusive towards yourself? And that was like penny drop moment. Uh, whoa okay interesting because i wasn't including all parts of myself you know i had so much shame attached to certain parts of me that i was hiding from the world that i was hiding from myself and that i think that is really resonating with some of the things that you were saying that looking inwards it's uncomfortable but it's really important yeah i think it is really important and actually I've had some coaching as well. So I, I had some coaching, which was funded by the Women's Engineering Society. But I also um, invested in a bit of personal branding coaching. And it was something that I paid for myself. But I just felt at that point that I really didn't know what I wanted. And that really helped me to identify my passions. You know, we talked a lot about actually what really sets that fire inside of you. And that really, for me, was quite pivotal. But I guess, again, as you said earlier, like, you know, people had different experiences of COVID. I, I recognise that I'm privileged in the fact that I had, you know, the, the finances to, to fund that myself. So I guess the question really is, so, you know, if people really want to start on that journey, where where is a good place to go that perhaps, you know, they might not need to actually invest any sort of financial resources and it's more a question of their time? Um, how do you start that journey of discovery? Um, there's so many resources and places to start out there, I think, and also within. I think I would say, actually, I was talking about this yesterday. It's really funny how, you know, the planets align sometimes and you just feel like, oh, this is really interesting. Someone was asking me, how, how did you find your purpose? How do you find your purpose? And I remember watching this TED talk that was about stop looking for your purpose and start following what you're curious about and then your purpose will find you and for me that was like for the longest time I was like oh I need to know like why am I here in the world and what am I here to do and I need to find this big great big purpose and that reframe was just mind-blowing because all of a sudden it gave me permission to just explore and experiment with lots of different things and eventually figuring out what like you said, brought me most joy and passion and enthusiasm. So I would say one thing is follow your curiosity and notice when you're really like into something and enjoying it and losing track of time. What are you doing? Who are you with? What does it feel like inside? You know, what are the emotions? What are the body sensations? What are the thoughts that come to mind? I think that that it gives you so much insight in terms of those passions and those, you know, missions and things that you might be interested in exploring more and, and going deeper into. So that's one thing. And then the other thing I think is looking back, there is very useful insight in the kid that we were or the kids that we were. You know, I, I look back um, at the little girl that I was before the bullying started, before 
I thought I can't be myself. I need to be somebody else. I need to hide who I am because I'm not acceptable. I'm not lovable. And there are ways that I can imitate other people that seem in inverted commas normal, that seem popular, that maybe then it will, you know, I will be fine kind of thing. Before that started, I look at that girl, that little girl, and she knew exactly what she wanted. Do you know what I mean? Like she wanted to be on stage. She wanted to change the world. She wanted to help people. She loved talking and dancing and painting. So I think looking back at, you know, before, almost like before you got formatted somehow by society, family, culture, whatever it is, what did that child like, love, wanted? And going back to that and exploring that a bit more, I think is really useful as well. Um, so that would be the two things that I think only require time um, that I would say. And then the third thing is just pick up external resources as well, because I think the inner work can really be informed also by, you know, listening to podcasts like this or reading books, you know, um, that, that might relate to the topic that you're interested in. I'm always, I mean, I'm a fan of books and audiobooks. If you're not into reading, I mean, now it's amazing. You can just plug it in your ears and walk around and be listening to all these amazing books. So, um, so yeah, I've gained so much from listening to other people's experiences and stories, I feel like, that have informed then the inner work that I've been doing. You're right. Podcasts definitely are a brilliant way to learn. I've probably come quite late to the party. I think sometimes, you know, it's only been the last year or so that I've been listening, but I really enjoyed them. But I picked up on something you were also talking about, like the passions and finding those passions. And it made me think back to like neuroatypical people and perhaps how we can harness those passions to actually, you know, release some real productivity in the workplace. Because, you know, I, I think we know a lot more and we understand a lot more about that now. There's there's a lot of influencers out there in the public that are actually talking about what life is like to live with certain neuroatypical um, conditions. So I guess really it's the, the, sort of, again, the sort of question I'm trying to ask is how, if you say a, a, a owner, an operator, an owner of a business or a manager, how you approach that topic with somebody? Like how do you start that conversation about what part of this job really brings you joy or is there something else that you would really like to do so we can actually really start to unleash almost those superpowers that these people have because when you find that passion I think that you know that really shows in the work that they do. Um, I'm trying to think about the different aspects of the question because I think there's lots in there which is really really good interesting topics like subtopics that we could go into. Um, there is the element of how do you start the conversation as a manager there's the element of noticing the strengths and talents that different people bring yeah i think on the second point is is coming back to that we're all neurodiverse but not everyone is marginalized for it and i think if we all look at inclusion of everyone around the table with then catering to people's specific needs preferences ways of communicating etc we will all benefit as a group so rather than thinking, oh, the onus is on the one person that feels very different and that, you know, they need to somehow come to the team and disclose and tell everyone and educate everyone and, you know, say what they need and all that. Instead of that, it's like, how do we create the safe space around everyone? How do we encourage people to talk about, I work my best 
in this environment, in these conditions, with these ways of communicating, etc. There are amazing people like Diversity and Ability is a social enterprise based in Brighton, for example. They've developed um, an access passport. It's an app and you can put in there your work preferences. And so everyone can input their work preferences and say you're organizing a meeting, you could ask people to send you, even anonymously, their work preferences. And so prior to meeting, you will know, for example, oh, I'm inviting 10 people. I know that six of them like to have the agenda in advance because it helps them. Brilliant. Then I need to make sure that I do that. Um, and so I think normalizing adjustments, preferences, that conversation really, really helps. I think the second thing is being aware that difference brings other perspectives. You know, for example, um, you know, being neurodiverse, like in my case, I feel like I bring a lot of creativity, out of the box thinking. I do bring challenge too, because I will see things in different angles. I love talking, I love sharing stories. You know, I, I bring a lot of emotion to the work that I do, which has very often, especially when I was in leadership roles, like leading teams has been viewed as a weakness, but in my mind is a strength. And I've had to reframe that myself, by the way, because we all hold certain limiting beliefs as to what leaders are supposed to be like or look like or sound like, et cetera. Um, so I think like noticing those differences and really leaning on those strengths and looking at the team as like an ecosystem and thinking like who brings what and who can help each other in which way for the benefit of everyone leading and driving towards that common purpose and vision and normalizing that also people will have different strengths. Therefore, they will have different challenges. Say for me, I show my emotions, like I said before, and sometimes, you know, extreme emotions. Um, I can tend to take things pretty personally. So like giving feedback, receiving feedback can be more challenging and I much prefer it in a private environment. So knowing all these things, like whether you're neurodiverse, diagnosed, self-diagnosed, not yet diagnosed, not, you know, neurodiverse um, in the first place, well, we're all neurodiverse, but not neuroatypical in the first place, we all have these different preferences. So I think having that conversation is really important. And yeah, just encouraging people to show their strengths. How do you start that conversation? First is creating the safe space. We can't have these conversations if we haven't spent time on company culture, values, on openness, vulnerability, um, leaders, but also team members, everyone being vulnerable, being encouraged to be vulnerable because there is a big risk. It's, it's not easy, A, to say, hey, <laughs> I'm neuroatypical, here's my diagnosis, here's my story, is terrifying. What if it has an impact on my progression? What if it has an impact on how my colleagues view me? What if it has an impact on how my team members view me? And then the question is, what if I get asked what I need? I don't know, do I know? Maybe, Ooh, I'm not sure. So that safe space and really inviting everyone to the conversation, I think, is where to start. And if it's a one-to-one -one conversation, I would say never, ever, ever, please ask directly, are you neurotypical or neurodivergent? <laughs> um, but really just invite people to say, hey, like, and you, you started actually in your question, answering your own question, because you said, you know, ask people. You know, what's, what's, uh, where do you see yourself? What do you enjoy doing? You know, what's uh, your vision for your career? 
Um, how can I help you towards that? And day to day, how do you like to communicate? How do you like to work with others? Do you enjoy working with the team? What's your favorite aspect of working within this team, etc.? All these questions will give you that picture, that holistic picture of the individual. And it's then going to you know, enable you as a leader or as a colleague to then provide that, that environment, that support, those opportunities. I mean, that was my favorite part about having a team was having those conversations with my team members and being able to then find projects and opportunities that I could link them to saying, oh, this person loves branding. We have a newsletter idea. Let's, you know, this person loves data. Oh, we need to work on some reports with the team, you know, whilst also obviously inviting everyone to contribute, but having those ideas as to how can you help people then develop towards their vision because actually, we always think, oh, but people are so busy, you know, I don't want to give them more work, la, la, la. Actually, give work to busy people. <laughs> no, that's yeah. another story. Yeah. I think um, yeah. certainly making me think as well, we we always talk about uh, diversity in, in what's visible in not, you know, we just, oh, people's different behaviours or what they're good at, what they're not good at. But I think to to move beyond that and and look at how people are diverse in the way they work, the way they think will actually make teams a lot more fun, I think, and, and yes. that work a lot more enjoyable if if we're not all doing the same task, but people are able to choose and think about what they're good at, what they enjoy doing, um, and not one size fits all, really. I'm really curious about your, your actual day job, though. <laughs> you know, how does it work and what do you do? Um, so my job is to look at how do we make innovation more accessible and inclusive for disabled and neurodiverse people. Um, so Innovate UK um, offers grants and, and support to entrepreneurs and innovators to start their businesses, grow their businesses, etc. And so I'm looking at how do we, A, make those opportunities really known and open to people in the community and be then lower the barriers and ideally remove the barriers to entry and to you know engagement in the innovation ecosystem so so yeah looking at for example offering reasonable adjustments to application processes uh, for grants and and support um, and then providing like that one-to-one -one coaching and support uh, once people have received grants in terms of how they can be successful and so yeah I uh, I love being in this community and it's really working at that crossroad between innovation and diversity and inclusion um, which I think is just so interesting because a lot of the work in diversity and inclusion is in-house, like internal facing with, you know, HR teams, people teams, which obviously is absolutely critical and necessary. Um, I think having said that, it's really important that we start broadening, broadening it because I think there is, you know, obviously diversity is everywhere. So there's so much opportunity to look at how do we make products, services, marketing, branding, all these different elements um, more inclusive, more accessible. So yeah, I'm really happy to be facing outwards and helping people who are themselves innovating to change the world. You know, there are people that are doing things, uh, you know, with an environmental, societal, economic impact, and I get to help them to do that. And how amazing is that, to be honest? It is, it does, like, just sounds really incredible. And people won't be able to see your face but the the passion just comes across in like you just you light up when you talk about it so you clearly have found your place your love that thing that actually you know really does set that fire within you it's really cool 
when we're, I know you mentioned earlier with coping strategies about the, the travel and yeah, I'd love to on a bad day, just that's it, I'm off. <laughs> How in that workspace as well can companies, I guess, and other individuals support people when people are maybe feeling overwhelmed that we actually do see it and are able to kind of help without, like you say, asking directly questions. How can we support people to be open and be able to to talk more about how they're feeling? And I think it's a very interesting question because it almost implies like that's the goal when there is always this thing that I ponder in my mind in terms of where does the responsibility of the workplace starts and end and the responsibility of the individual starts and end uh, because there is an element of you know we're all responsible and accountable for our own well-being and our own healing and coping strategies and then there is an element of the workplace is responsible to provide the environment where it is safe to talk about these things and where it is you know not stigmatized and not judged uh, if you are going to um, choose to disclose or share your story um, so I think those two things have to come together uh, because I'll just give you an example. When I was working in, in China and in Australia, I was working, you know, specifically in China, like 80 hours a week, every single weekend, every single night. I loved my job. My job was to offer holidays for people. You know, some people save years to go on these holidays and I get to be the person, you know, so I was really passionate about what I was doing. And so I was just working, 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 working. And everyone around me was like, you're going to burn out. You're working too long. You're like risking your mental health, like, hello, hello. But it just wasn't getting through. And whether the environment was here, there or the other, I was myself so engrossed and my identity had become my job and my job had become my identity that I was really struggling in that moment to find that distance. When I did, I, I broke my hand on the job and that was like a wake up call. And when that happened, I wish that the environment had been set up for those conversations to be had, but it wasn't. There was no discussion about, you know, time off, uh, reviewing the job description, um, adapting certain things. I mean, I was there working with one hand typing on the keyboard. <laughs> so, so that's, that's, going to be my point you know there's an element of we need to trust and and hold empower people to take their own journey and to discover their own coping skills and to explore all these topics and at the same time I think the responsibility of the workplaces is to create that safe environment for those conversations to be had and how do we do that well we just start you know I mean just start have discussions host talks like this um host training sessions i mean then obviously provide resources as well external and internal employee assistance program they work in some cases some not but it's better to have one than none in my opinion uh, mental health first aiders people who are trained in the organization peer-to-peer -peer, um, but also bringing external speakers to share their stories to make it you know engaging and relatable I remember at Expedia, I hosted a conversation with Enoch Lee. She's the founder of Therapy um, Mental Health uh, Consultancy in, in, uh, in China. And that conversation in the context of Asia Pacific, where those conversations, especially at the time, were not happening at all, was absolutely instrumental because people were like, ah, someone that sounds, looks, is 
similar to me, has similar upbringing, values, culture, etc., is talking about these things. Oh, it's acceptable to talk about these things. So there's so many different activations that you know we can use and that I've experimented with over the years of, of doing this work. Um, but those are like very tactical things. I think the overarching theme is create the safe environment, open for the conversation, make it completely accepted and acceptable that everyone has different experiences, different coping strategies, different preferences, working preferences, and, and take it from there. I often refer to it because I think it's something I'm very proud of. Um, I did an open university degree about 10 years ago, so obviously way beyond school age, um, in psychology. And it was because it was a subject that I loved and was really interested in and the people side. And I was in a management role at the time. And I always refer to it. It made me a calmer person. But I I don't think it was necessarily that. It was more that it made me think about other people that I'm talking to and working with, that my way of doing things isn't always right. And it, it made me think about how they're thinking and feeling. But yeah, I always sort of say, oh, it made me calmer. So, but people must say, oh, what was she like before? But um, <laughs> it certainly makes you more, it is that empathy side, but it is also thinking about people's backgrounds and, you know, someone having a bad day, why they're having a bad day. And you don't need to do a degree in that, but I think it's right listening to podcasts mm -hmm. and and especially in leadership roles and management roles is important to to just make yourself aware of that that different and different asking questions yeah asking questions um and not making assumptions that's really key like I think that was a big learning for me when when I started managing teams was you know being trained in coaching skills and realizing that oh okay it's about asking questions and listening actively listening to the answer because people will have their own answers people will know what kind of coping skills they want to try or they're interested in or has worked in the past or hasn't worked in the past and so it's more about probing that through open-ended questions without judgment rather than telling people here is a list of 20 things you can do okay which one are you going to do <laughs> you know? um so so yeah I think asking questions active listening is something that from what you were saying it just made me think yeah we definitely need to add that because that's really really important and it's tough we're problem solvers we love love I I'm the same I'm the same I'm human hello <laughs> you know of course I love giving advice this is amazing you know I tell you what to do this has worked for me you should do that it almost never works unless the person is clearly asking you do you have some advice or you can also ask I, I forget sometimes that you know you can ask what seems obvious or what seems that you should know or something like that it's mm -hmm. weird we get in our own way but ask are you looking for me to listen or are you looking for advice you know you can ask the person um or when you were talking earlier about you know creating that environment it's like you know or would you be comfortable with me asking you a few questions about your preferred ways of working or your background or whatever it may be. Ask the question before asking the actual question. Do you know what I mean? Because then the person has the option to say, not now, I'm not in the headspace or, you know, mm -hmm. whatever it is, you know, maybe tomorrow or whenever, and then you schedule something or maybe not here, you know, not in the open office. You know, let's go to a coffee shop or let's have a walk or something like that. So just exploring and asking those questions that sometimes may seem, oh, this is too obvious. 
but it's not because we give people the choice and we empower them to decide. Um, I used to do that with my team all the time. Would you like your one-to-one as a walking one-to-one, a coffee one-to-one, or in the office, you know, looking at the screen one-to-one? And they would choose depending on what they needed from the meeting at the time. So, yeah, try that. See what happens. That's a great way. I've worked with a manager in the past and I, I would ring and have a, a good old rant, as I would kind of say, and kind of about something and quite emotional kind of chat over the phone. And you used to get a, right, what do you want me to do? And I'm, oh, nothing, I'm okay now. And it was like, thanks very much. And it was just get all that energy, that bad energy out and then carry on with my day. But it's not always about doing something, is it? It's actually, I just want someone to listen to me and then I'll be okay and go away. But I think that's that's a great idea for one-to-ones as well, because we all do a very official office-based process but yeah it's just about talking isn't it and and feedback and ideas and and one-to-one two-way conversation I'm the sort of person that um when I get a request for a one-to-one I always think that I've done something really bad (laughs) they're horrible we spoke about them last week about the um the the scorings and I don't think they've they've evolved from when I first started work a kind of like you can't find you can't fit someone in a box of what they are or what they're doing and I think it is moving away from from that what level you're at and and looking at different things I was on Google thinking up there's got to be a better way but (laughs) those boxes have always like oh really freaks me out I've never fit in the box like yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) so what do you do so where are you from so it's just it nah it doesn't fit anywhere you know and then you walk away you it doesn't inspire you it does nothing for you 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 kind of leave that meeting and oh well that's done that for the next six months and yeah it should be about walking out and, and being motivated for the next kind of time not just oh yeah brilliant um I ticked a box yeah again if, I, if I've made it through that one-to-one then I'm like okay at least I'm all right for another couple of months before yeah. there's something yeah. that I'm like oh my god I've done something wrong <laughs> but I always ask I'm the sort of person now I never used to be but I will always like if I get a request like that, I'll find my boss be like what's it about <laughs> what are we going to talk about like I'd rather you just tell me if there's something wrong and I think he's got used to that from me now but mm. before I would have not done that and I would have just like you know I have anxiety as well and I would have just got to the point where I've needed to medicate to actually be all right to go to work mm-hmm. and there was no need to be like that I just worry about things a lot mm-hmm. so again like you were talking mm-hmm. about understanding people's wants and needs like what suits them in the workplace how can we approach these types of topics subjects meetings whatever it is like approach them in a way that actually they're comfortable with it um and yeah, some people, like you say, having an agenda in advance, something like that, where you just, you know, if you're going to do that kind of meeting, put it in the email, just want to have a catch up, just make sure everything's all right, nothing to worry about. Or, you know, it's your formal appraisal, think about what you might want to do for your next 12 months or whatever. So um, we always talk about funny moments as well, don't we, Karen? Say so things that might have happened, and we, we've had lots of different stories about you know rip skirts or misunderstandings of losing terms car in park. the industry yeah losing yeah. cars in car parks <laughs> um and the moments that you just think oh you know I wish that the ground would swallow me now because that was so embarrassing um have you got any stories you'd like to share with us <laughs> I have a story a lost in translation story uh, <laughs> when I was working in um in China I was I was taking Mandarin classes a few mornings like I think three mornings a week 
um, early, like before work started. So then colleagues would come in and I would just finish my class and, and say hello and la la la. So I come out of this class and I say, hey, like, and, and one of my colleagues says, oh, and there's lots of people. It's open office. There's like 20 people just starting to work. Do you know what I mean? And he's like, so what did you learn today? And I attempted to say panda in Chinese in Mandarin and uh, actually can't remember. Anyway, I said it, uh, what I thought was panda and everyone started laughing so hard like and I was like oh my god oh my god oh my god um apparently uh with a different intonation it's meant uh, chest hair <laughs> so then, oh, what I learned about chest hair <laughs> and I was just like and then obviously they all started making fun of that for the next six months um hi <laughs> chest hair <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> but you tried and that's the important thing I tried I tried <laughs> exactly. I never said panda ever again <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> And you probably never looked at a panda in the same way again either. And true, true. <laughs> Actually, you've got me thinking as well. Obviously, life in China is very different. Was there anything when you went there, whether it be, I suppose, like culturally or like foods or like, you know, anything that, that you just actually like initially just thought, wow, this is really strange. So many things. We could do an entire podcast on that. <laughs> so many things are different and we're strange. For example, like you go into a meeting and you have to hand in your business card with two hands to the person and bow a little bit. And then you would sit one organization on one side of the table and the other organization on the other side of the table. And the most senior person would always speak first and invite more junior or other people to speak when and if they wanted them to so these are just like work style differences food wise so many differences like people would order the the sweet and the savory at the same time uh, because it's all about sharing right um so with chinese food you see how that makes sense because you know there aren't that many like specific separate desserts some uh, but not as much as like we might have especially like being french all our cakes and pastries and things and so it it really surprised me once I went to a French restaurant in China and the couple on the table next to us were having the chocolate cake with the steak. And that was like, what is happening? <laughs> um, and I think that's where also the Frenchness comes in because I'm like, oh, you can't do that, you can't do that. But why not? I mean, you can do whatever you want if you like it, do you know what I mean? But yes, yeah, so tons and tons of you know, these are just small anecdotes that come to mind right now, but tons of differences, um, some of which, you know, you get used to it pretty quickly and some of which takes a bit longer. Um, I did feel like a part of me became Chinese by the end of the two years. Like I drink matcha latte every day now, um, love matcha tea. I mean, it is more Japanese, but it was also very big in Shanghai. So got hooked on those uh, whilst over there. So yeah, lots of different things that you adopt or not i i do feel like every single country has its differences you know even uh, australia or even here to between here and france like uk and france there are differences as well you know and if we could bring it back to the topic like specifically around the conversation around neurodiversity and mental health is so much more open and destigmatized in the uk than it is in france today um it's changing there as well. And I know it's changing here and there's a long way to go everywhere. 
Um, but I have to say, it's just so liberating to be able to be more yourself, you know, in this kind of environment. And I hope that through the work that I'm doing and other people, I know fantastic people are doing that we can bring other countries and other cultures on this journey, because I think it's really amazing to see where things are heading in the UK, specifically on this topic. I think it's great yeah. to see how far we've come in what feels like a shortage space of time. I noticed in the workplace how different conversations and they're not forced or staged. They're just natural conversations that you're comfortable to have. Sometimes we scare people off with kind of being too open with the conversations, but great. Why not? There's no reason to not. We're all living the same experiences and, and doubt. Yeah, it's very you sort of saying that like the menopause conversations comes to mind because that has been a very hot topic recently. And yeah, I can 100% say that no one talked about it in the workplace mm. a couple of years ago. But, you know, we recently at my company put together a guide. So we had a policy in place, but there wasn't actually any practical information on how the managers could apply that, you know, and that wouldn't have happened five years ago. So we're definitely creating a more inclusive environment. And it's the workplace isn't as rigid. And maybe some of that is through COVID where we had to adapt our, our working practices and how we sort of communicate with each other. But I think back to like, when I started, I've been in the industry 23 years. And when I first started in here, it was, you know, even though I was in a technical role, I still had people that would sit on my desk and dictate emails because I was the only woman in the vicinity. And it was like, well, who's going to type this out for me? Whereas, you know, no one would dream of that now. But we do recognise that we still have a very long way to go. But it's interesting you say what you said about France, because I think, I don't know if everybody agrees, but sort of from our point of view, looking over to France, we probably consider you as quite a progressive country so it's quite interesting to hear that you know and that that's again that experience that you've brought with that travel you know if, if you're not well traveled then you won't really be aware you only know what you are told through the media really so it's really important actually to share those experiences mm. yeah and I, just to say that I was specifically commenting on neurodiversity and and mental health so there's definitely other areas where I think you know gender equality or other areas where Definitely France is, you know, has always had that equality mindset, but it's like shifting also to that equity mindset. So that's a probably a conversation for a different time. But um, but yeah, I think every country will have its nuances as well, where some countries will be more comfortable with certain topic and topics and aspects um, of diversity and inclusion because of the underlying culture nuances. Um, and then other topics maybe less so um so yeah there's there's a lot of work to do on those things so I was just thinking before we go um could you tell us a little bit about your business as well so we've talked about your day job your main <laughs> job but we'd really like to know a bit about your business as well yeah for sure happy to share I think we were going to do a what the fuck moment as well I prepared that one <laughs> <laughs> well, we, yeah we, we would love no we would love to hear that you could do that first if you like <laughs> Oh, I can do that. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah. Give like, us your WTF moment. My and WTF then we'll let you talk moment. about your business. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually had two very short ones. One was I was in my mid to late 20s. I was in a one-to-one -one with my boss. And I said to him, I was a associate business development associate director. And there was a director role that, that just opened. And I really wanted the job. Um, and so I was making my case for like why I would be good at this job and why I was really interested in this job. And then silence. And then he said, I'm not sure this job would work for you because surely 
I mean, your age, you're going to be looking to have kids soon, no? Have a family? So, Len, you're definitely what? younger than me, so it's frightening. Um, but that, yeah, those conversations still happen. Oh. But yeah, I recall similar moments and and a long time ago being, oh, no, no, I don't want children. Oh, no, no, I don't want. And yeah, I, I and wish that's the thing, what right? I knew now. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. Like we and I did that, too. I answered. I said, I don't want children. Yeah. Why yeah. am I answering? Yeah. I shouldn't answer. I should say it's absolutely unacceptable that you asked me this. But when you're in the moment, somehow, it's almost like your brain just freezes and goes like, oh, I need to answer. This. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's why I really wanted to share this because I was like, if it happens to other women now, you know, don't answer the question. You don't have to answer the question. You yeah. don't owe anyone the answer. And if anything, remind the person that they're not allowed to ask you this question. So, uh, yes, I wanted to share that. And the other very short example that I had was, that was actually a, a woman leader. So um, can't all blame the, yeah. <laughs> the opposite gender for everything. Anyway, um, she was the CEO of the company I was working for at the time. And she, she had these nine hour meetings with her leadership team. And I was one of the kind of internal uh, consultants as part of the transformation office. And she asked me in every meeting, the youngest woman around the table, um, and one of the only women around the table, aside from her, usually it was two or three of us, um, to ring the bell. So that was my job. So um, to indicate that people were out of time for their presentation, I was charged. I had a little triangle, triangle bell and I had to ring the bell. And one day I mastered the courage to ask the CEO of this 22 plus thousand employee company why me and she said we all have to start somewhere and to this day I can't shake it off because I was so shocked and I thought surely you've had to go through so many of the similar loops that I'm gonna have to go through why put extra hurdle why continue the stereotype like you yeah. were saying before around you know having to take the notes Ugh. So that was my other one. <laughs> we we have actually talked about that before, haven't we, Karen, about sometimes, and it isn't it isn't every woman, but sometimes when a, a woman finally makes it to that leadership position that they don't hold the doors open, you know, that opportunity isn't then given to others because they feel they fought for that. Yeah. Sweat and blood. Why should you have an easier route than them? And it's really not helping us to change the status quo at all. Exactly it's but yeah so it's, yeah yeah it's certainly about that. you have a, to start somewhere yeah it's <laughs> certainly about being a mentor and a and yeah someone that people do do feel that they is supporting other women as well and I think that's that's what's really important to all of us in this network as well that we do support each other we're not just anything we're we're all doing different jobs and doing them really well and yeah working hard at kind of what we do so and just but, looking at the future as well to let yeah, people so, we recognise that we're stronger together and that, mm. that is something that we've learned as a network. We've been together, how many years have we been going now? Is it six? Yes, yeah, six or seven. seven. <laughs> I remember when we were asked this recently and I was like, eh. But we've had a lot of time to get to know each other and to yeah. actually understand our wants and needs within our own group. And we, we encourage and support each other and we want that really to wash out into the rest of the industry, don't we? For, you know, not just for, for gender balance, but just diversity and equity across the board so then we will now give you the opportunity to talk about your business because you did <laughs> yeah. you yeah you 
you played the game um and then yeah unfortunately we'll have to finish on that but yeah please talk to us a little bit about your business and be beyond borders that's right so be beyond borders um started in 2018 um initially um as a blog uh, I was. Uh, I wanted to capture and to share the experiences of people who lived in different countries, grew up in different cultures, etc., uh, to show that combination of we're all unique individuals, but also we're all similar humans. Um, and so I have a website. It's www.bbonborders.com where you can read some of these stories. And it's evolved since into um, speaking, writing, and facilitating of conversations, um, articles, stories around diversity and inclusion, disability and neurodiversity and cross-cultural collaboration. So um, yeah, if anyone is interested in uh, watching, I have a talk show called The Inclusion Conversation where I bring guests um, to talk about their experiences with different aspects of diversity and inclusion. So it's a great place to learn and educate ourselves uh, about different communities, different lived uh, experiences and stories from people. Um, I also have four books that I've published around these topics, uh, a travel memoir, a children's book, and two poetry books. Um, they're all on my website. Um, and I do provide, you know, workshops and um, advice consultancy around these topics as well. So you can reach out to me, bbeyondborders uh, at yahoo.com, or you can follow on Instagram at bbeyondborders and uh, Solène Angare on LinkedIn as well. Um, yeah, love a bit of social media. <laughs> <laughs> So that's it. That's me. <laughs> Thank you so much. We will we'll share the details. Um, honestly, I I I want to keep you your in, your infectious positivity, your enthusiasm. It's just lovely to talk to you. And I think just from talking today and learning from you, I I will become a better leader and a better manager at work as well. So really really enjoyable. Thank you so much for taking part. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it too. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, thank you for listening to this podcast and we hope you found it interesting and inspiring. Please download the rest of the series wherever you listen to your podcasts and keep an eye out for any social media posts where you can listen again. We'll leave uh, details for Selene, um, but also see what's coming up next. Also share with us any ideas uh, that you or your colleagues um, would like to hear more about. Um, and just a reminder, you can get more involved with our LinkedIn group. IOR Women in RACHP help to spread the network and please do get in contact if you'd like to reach out about anything that we can support you with.